This is the Baymo Podcast with Marty Solomon. I'm his co-host, Brent Billings. Today, we are joined by special guest, Dr. Jennifer Rosner, Affiliate Assistant Professor of Systematic Theology at Fuller Theological Seminary. She also holds academic posts at the King's University, Azusa Pacific University, and the Messianic Jewish Theological Institute. Her passion is to explore the relationship with Judaism and Christianity, and she spent time living in Jerusalem with her husband, Yonah, before returning to the States. They have two children. Welcome to the show, Jen. Thank you. It's an honor to be here. And obviously, uh, you have lots of things going on, as I spoke to in the intro so far, um, but you, you have so much more than that. So if you want to just add some color um, to what I've said so far, talk about the finer things of your life, tell us about your family, whatever you want to say um, to to give our listeners a little bit more information about who you are. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Um, I think one of the unique things about myself and my academic work is how closely connected it, it is to my story and my personal journey. Uh, so that might be a, a helpful place to start. I was raised in a Jewish home. Both my parents are Jewish. Um, you know, pretty strong Jewish identity without a local synagogue connection. So our Judaism was based and lived out in our home. Um, and I went off to a large public state school in California for my bachelor's degree. And it was there that really for the first time I heard the gospel. Um, and so my college years became a real journey of figuring out who is this Jesus guy and does he matter in some way to me? Um, and in my last, my final year of, of my bachelor's degree, uh, I came to faith in Jesus and it really sort of reoriented my whole life, but also my professional trajectory. So I was a political science major in college, planning to go to law school, like most of the students in my department. And I just became so fascinated by Christian theology. Um, and it's, it, it's, you know, it, it just sort of took over. And I ended up at divinity school instead, at which point I was completely hooked. And so kind of moved in into this direction of, of getting my PhD in theology and teaching theology. Uh, and it was really uh, later, it was at the end of my MDiv program that the Jewish piece, which I had sort of shelved when I uh, became a follower of Jesus because I had no idea what to do with it. And I had no models for how to be Jewish and follow Jesus, which sounds so crazy to me now, um, but I didn't. And that says something about the worlds of Judaism and Christianity. And so it was at the end of my MDiv program that the Jewish piece started sort of clamoring for attention again. And I have basically spent both my personal and professional life since then figuring out what does it mean to be Jewish and to follow Jesus. And I feel like along the way, I've stumbled upon some questions that are also then fun to pose to seminary students who've probably never thought about uh, Christianity in light of God's ongoing covenant with the Jewish people and the relationship between Judaism and Christianity, because the reality is you don't really have to do that in, in a lot of Christian circles. You don't, you don't really need to know much or care much about Judaism. And so it's kind of since become my task to convince Christians that they should care about Judaism and the Jewish people. I, I think that's the first like testimony we've had on the podcast where I've actually uttered multiple amens under my breath. Like, nice. I'll take it. <laughs> well, thankfully, that is a, a tension and a conversation that is very familiar to our listeners as Marty has gone through. Um, maybe a, a, a similar 
path, although obviously ended up in slightly different places. Um, but I'm, I'm curious how you, um, know about Marty or Bama or whatever. I don't know how you got connected, um, to, to the podcast. So I'm, I'm curious what the, what the connection was there. Yeah. I mean, I kind of wish that I could say, oh, I was one of your fans and followers from episode one. Um, but I can't say that. It actually was more recent uh, that I came to know about Bayman, about Marty, and about you, Brent. Uh, and it was through, I'm, I'm working on a new book at the moment that, that, that I hope we'll touch on at some point, maybe, maybe in a little bit. Um, and and my, it was through my agent, actually. Her name's Keely Boving. And from very early on in, in our working together, she was like, Jen, you need to know about Bayman. You need to know about this guy, Marty Solomon. And I was like, what's that? Who's that? Um, and so I started, you know, kind of figuring out who you guys are, what you guys are about. Marty and I had a meeting uh, around that time. And it's just been really fun to, uh, to realize that we do uh, kind of run in, on, on similar tracks and uh, have a lot of overlap. So I'm, I'm excited to continue uh, pressing into that because I think, uh, again, different, different places, different uh, vantage points to some extent, but, but a lot of the similar core questions. So I feel like I, I'm like, a uh, I've been grafted into Bayma, but I, I kind of wish that I had been there all along. I have to say, well, uh, man, I, I, I wish you had been here all along too, but I'm glad and it's such a great segue. I mean, I remember when we had our first conversation, um, and, and you already told us a little bit about your story. So I'm going to, I'm going to totally uh, shape and mold this, uh, question here and throw a curveball at you, but Jen, you almost single-handedly opened, like God used you to open my mind to what uh, there was in the world of Messianic Judaism. Um, like I, I know I, I've had a limited amount of experiences, uh, but you helped show me like how big the world of Messianic Judaism is on, on like an academic level, on uh, and really it has been, and, and I was largely unaware of some of those things. You helped connect me to some great. Uh, academic circles, and I'm saying all this selfishly. Like, like I love our listeners in the podcast, and that's great. But for me, in my own personal journey, uh, it's just been such a blessing. And and I say this: this is going to be this is going to be weird, Jen. But this is hopefully going to come across as a huge compliment. Like when we first started talking, I was not optimistic. Hmm. Like I was super skeptical. Like I've met Messianic Jews before. Uh, and, and you like you, it's not just that I like your stuff, but you've actually overcome <laughs> like a massive wall of skept. You haven't just been great. You've actually had to overcome like a negative deficit when we first started for me and the things that I keep reading and the spaces you keep inviting me into and conversations and like, it's just so good. So on one level, I just want to say thank you. And I don't know if maybe you even have some comment about that because, um, it, it's just been, a. Uh, I thought I knew, like, I thought I knew and, and I, and I didn't know. And it's just been like this beautiful learning journey for me. Uh, and I'm excited to have you here today, but, but there you go. Thank you. Well, you know, I think there's a lesson there, Marty, that it always pays to have low expectations, right? <laughs> <laughs> better, better that to could be, be. That could be one of the lessons. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, better to be pleasantly surprised than disappointed. So I'm glad that you just like started out with the expectation of disappointment, and then you were surprised when it didn't go that way. So, um, well, and it went beyond that. Like, not. Uh, I, I'm going to interrupt you there because I, maybe I didn't make my point well enough. Like, I'm about ready to review your book on Goodreads, 
and Brent will attest to this, you're going to get like the fifth star. And Brent will tell you how easily the fifth star comes from me. And uh, so not like not you, it's not just that we set low expectations and and you were OK, but we set low expectations. You were OK and then more than OK. And now you've become like and it's not just you. It's all these other voices you're helping mm. introduce me to. But it's just such a beautiful gateway. And and that's been uh, yeah, it's just been fantastic. I, I, there is so much that I've yet to learn. And it's it's beautiful. Well, I mean, thank you. That is a huge compliment. Of course, I'm joking about the low expectations thing, but I, but I think it's, um, it's, it's truly an honor because, uh, I, you know, and, and I would say it has very much to do with what you just mentioned, which is this whole kind of, um, group of people who have deeply, um, shaped and influenced my own theology, my, my own, you know, set of, practices for living out that theology, my own worldview with regard to these things. So it has a lot to do with, with that, with that group that you've mentioned and that we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully talk a little bit more about. Mm. And I think that you're not the only person to have sort of written off Messianic Judaism and, and not for, um, like unfair reasons. I think the Messianic Jewish movement does not present well all the time. And it has, um, some different parts of its history and theology that mm-hmm. uh, that can be kind of a turnoff, honestly. And I think and I hope that that that's beginning to change, and that your own um, kind of change in assessment uh, is a reflection of that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, I love it. Yeah, people will often ask me, like, so what's the deal with Marty? What what is he really? And I've always <laughs> felt like. Well, he's not a messianic Jew. You just have to know that, because that's that's not where he fits. He doesn't belong. I've made there. that clear to Brent. So, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, there's some redemption to be found there, where it's where it's like people can ask me, like, is he messianic Jew? It's like, yeah, hey, pretty much, Maybe. sure. Why not? So, um, that's really good. So, why don't you tell us, uh, maybe? And I, I hate this word influencer because I feel like it's just this, like, I don't know, a weird. Like, I, I, I don't want to say anything bad, but anyway, like it is a good word in that you do have a lot of influence, um, in, in this, in this world of understanding Judaism and Christianity and how they relate to each other. Um, so maybe tell us about your work as a professor, as an author, um, and, and just how, how you see, um, the work that you're doing and how it influences the conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a good question. And and because I teach for four different schools, I teach a lot of different classes. Um, you know, I teach everything from systematic theology to Christian seminary students to uh, classes on Messianic Jewish theology to uh, Jewish Christian relations, classes on anti-Semitism. So there's a pretty broad spectrum in terms of my teaching, but there's a core uh, kind of anchor to all of it, which is uh, what I mentioned previously, that uh, I really feel um, called and passionate about uh, trying to awaken certain Christian circles uh, to the way in which Christian theology and Christian and the history of the church really has kind of missed it, I think, with the Jewish people and with regard to God's covenant with the people of Israel and so there, as I said, there's sort of this common core to my teaching and my writing, uh, which is which is not all geared toward Christians, but much of it is um, to try to raise some questions that that uh, cause some uh, that that problematize certain aspects of Christian theology and how easy it is to 
really, I mean, like be a faithful Christian, be a real Christian and never uh, touch upon these kinds of issues uh, and never really think about the way in which Christianity uh, is or currently is not really connected to Judaism. Um, and so uh, again, I, I like to sort of crack open those conversations and, uh, you know, hopefully raise some questions and it has to do with biblical hermeneutics. That has to do with how we read our Bibles, uh, how we understand the Bible as hanging together as one coherent whole, uh, which, which again is very, very entrenched in, um, the, the development of Christianity, the development of Christian theology. Um, and, and so that's, you know, that's, that's what I see as, as kind of my mission is to be standing in, to some extent in between these two worlds, uh, mostly, uh, speaking to the Christian world and, and trying to ask some questions that I don't think get asked enough in a lot of Christian circles. Yeah. And one of these voices that I think we've been kind of referencing as we've been going along that you've introduced me to is Dr. Mark Kinzer. And, um, can you, can you just tell us more here for, uh, the episode here, tell us about his work and the ways that you've been connected to it and influenced by it. And what's like, just tell us about what he's doing and why it's like his particular contributions have been so important in your mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, Mark was, and I consider myself extremely fortunate for this to have been the case, but Mark was basically my introduction to Messianic Judaism, which is interesting, Marty, hearing that you, you know, had a certain set of experiences uh, with Messianic Judaism or perceptions of Messianic Judaism that sort of allowed you, that you, you kind of crafted a um, an assessment of it that's, you know, maybe changing or whatever. I basically knew nothing. I had never even, I mean, maybe I'd heard of Jews for Jesus, um, but that was it. And and not even that much um, at that. And so very early on in my doctoral program at Fuller Seminary, uh, my doctoral advisor, Howard Lowen, uh, has been, had been friends with Mark for years. And so when I told my doctoral advisor that I was Jewish, he was like, Jen, like that matters. And I was like, it does tell me about that because this is when I was kind of just being a Christian, you know, I was like, Oh, I was raised in a Jewish family, but I'm, I'm like a Christian now. Um, and so, uh, I think it was my first year in my doctoral program. Uh, so this is, you know, 15 years ago, uh, my doctoral advisor said, you need to meet my friend, Mark Kinzer. And, you know, a month later or something, Mark Kinzer was in town in LA and we sat, we sat together and I was just immediately, uh, struck by him because he is, of course, an incredible scholar uh, who's kind of been doing the same kind of work that I am doing for decades. Um, and he's been involved in all kinds of really, you know, neat circles, Jewish Christian dialogue circles, uh, again, influencer kind of circles. Um, and he really, uh, there's not a lot of Messianic Jewish academics. And one of Mark's uh, visions and desires is to add academic credibility to the Messianic Jewish movement, which, which it needs, you know? Um, and so Mark kind of took me under his wing and, and, and was like, you know, you're, uh, you know, I'd like you to meet these people and come to this conference. And, um, and, and Mark like almost instantly became a really key, um, mentor to me as I was wrestling through personal questions and, like, where do I fit in? And, you know, I was single at the time and kind of a miserable single person at that. And uh, so Mark just became this like life mentor who had just thought so deeply about this set of questions and issues that I was just kind of uncovering in my own journey. And he ended up serving on my doctoral committee um, 
And, and, you know, it's probably worth noting that my first book was the published version of uh, my doctoral dissertation. So uh, those questions really came to a head in, in my, uh, in my doctoral work. Uh, And Mark was just such a key player. And really, he continues to be, I mean, he officiated at our wedding, if that says something also about the personal connection there uh, with Mark. And I just have an immense amount of respect for him as a human being, as a friend, as a colleague, as a scholar. Um, And the projects that Mark is involved in, I'm like, those are things to pay attention to. And those are things that I want to be involved in and, and, and thankfully have had a lot of opportunities to work with him on, on a number of things. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't gotten a chance to talk to him personally yet, but I've been kind of on the same zoom call or in the same digital room and, and I can really appreciate some of the things that you're sharing too. And it, it's always good to hear people that know folks on a personal level, mm-hmm. like that day to day and mm-hmm. say, I respect them as a person. Mm-hmm. And that, that's always such a huge added bonus. Yeah, Jen, I'm I'm actually a wedding photographer a little bit on the side um, mm. that I've been doing for 15 years. So I've heard a lot of wedding ceremonies. And I have to say, I wish I had been at yours because that sounds like it would be way more engaging than the most of the ceremonies I end up <laughs> sitting through. So uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that, is, that is a great connection when you have, you know, somebody in your life who who's like, okay, he's, he's the guy for this role. Um, mm-hmm. that, that's a pretty big deal. So that's great. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there was a book, uh, that I didn't realize was so, uh, new and recent, but published a little bit earlier this summer. It was called at the foot of the mountain. And it's really a collection of correspondence between yourself and, uh, a messianic rabbi who's also, I believe a family member, if I read the introduction correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was really offering, uh, it offered these differing perspectives uh, that you can find on Messianic Judaism. And the introduction did a really great job of showing how this dialogue between you and Joshua, it it frames and represents kind of two dominant perspectives within the Messianic movement. And I found this book to be like, this was, <laughs> and again, all this is happening within like weeks or months, like very recently for me. Um, but just, I was like, oh, that's what I've been experiencing. I had only really rubbed shoulders with one of these camps, like like one of those experiences within Messianic Judaism. And then all these things I had kind of been watching for the last year or so uh, that you that you had been able to show me were the reason where they're different are these two, I don't know if I would call them competing perspectives, they're just different. Mm-hmm. And can can you talk about these two camps and how um, maybe it'll, maybe it'll whet people's appetite to maybe go, uh, pick up that book, but talk about how these interactions could help or hurt the conversations surrounding, uh, Jewish Christian relationships. Yeah. I mean, that was a, it was a fun book to write. Um, and it's written with Joshua Lassard, who is a Messianic Jewish rabbi. He's also my brother-in-law. He is my husband's brother. Um, and he, yeah, he basically kind of represents, uh, you know, for the most part, one camp within the Messianic Jewish world. He, um, and this is one of the things I love about him and I love about that book is, uh, be, it, his perspective comes, uh, through so clearly, uh, particularly his desire that the spirit would have freedom to move in ways that the spirit wants to move and that we wouldn't be hindering that by some, um, sort of pre-structured set of convictions or commitments that he's concerned might sort of hinder the movement of the spirit. And in that way, 
he aligns kind of with charismatic Christianity, which again, as you're saying, Marty, aligns pretty closely with a wide swath of the Messianic Jewish movement, which kind of looks a lot like charismatic Christianity with, with some, with some Jewish flair. Uh, not to say that their Judaism isn't taken seriously, but it means a certain thing, uh, especially in light of this kind of tension between how, how do we be Jews and follow Jesus? How do we be Jews and Christians kind of thing? Um, and so that's kind of Josh, that's what Josh is representing. And David Rudolph, uh, wrote the foreword to the book, which was meaningful because along with me, my brother-in-law, Josh was also my student at the King's University, uh, where he's finishing up, uh, I believe his MDiv. Uh, and, and, you know, I've been teaching there for a number of years. So he was in my class and the book, the genesis of the book was that he, uh, you know, after the class ended, he, he sort of wrote to me about some issues, you know, where he had a different perspective in the class. And then we started writing back and forth and he said, Hey, why don't we, why don't we make like a book out of this correspondent? If, if it seems interesting and, and sort of coherent and articulate, let's, let's try to publish this, uh, which is the story behind the book. And so anyway, David Rudolph, who's the director of the Messianic Jewish Studies program at the King's University and a very good friend and a very top-notch Messianic Jewish New Testament scholar, uh, wrote the foreword where he lays this very helpful map out of the Messianic Jewish movement and how Josh and I both represent a different end of the spectrum. So again, Josh would represent kind of the more charismatic Christian-y, um, not too tied to particular Jewish practices, but very concerned about the work of the Spirit, um, uh, some of the really key themes in the New Testament, honestly. And I represent more of the, um, well, if we're going to call ourselves Messianic Judaism, like we need to have a thoughtful uh, connection to Judaism that can't just be uh, you know, and you see a lot in Israel in, in the Messianic Jewish movement, it's very reactionary to sort of Orthodox Judaism. And you get a bit of that in the States too. And, and so I'm pushing for more engagement really with rabbinic Judaism, uh, what becomes of Judaism after you get kind of the parting of the ways between Judaism and Christianity. Um, and I feel like it, it, oftentimes rabbinic Judaism is kind of wholesale dismissed because uh, the rabbis who've been crafting, you know, Jewish tradition and practice have rejected Jesus. And so there's kind of this like, well, we can't follow them. They don't have authority. They don't, they don't submit to Messiah. They, you know, they're, they have, they have, they're hostile towards Messiah. And so I kind of want to say, well, maybe there's more to it than that, right? Like maybe um, God is still guiding the rabbis and rabbinic tradition because that's, that's like this, it's like one fragmented piece of God's people in the aftermath of the parting of the ways. Um, and so I'm, so it's, it's kind of a call from my end to, to, to engage in some respect with, with rabbinic Judaism and with Jewish tradition and Jewish practices. Um, and again, interest, you know, in this kind of interesting tension, Josh is concerned that that would somehow squelch the work of the spirit. Um, so, so just one more point about that. We, Josh and I did an interview about the book earlier this week, and he, he gave this example of like someone walks into McDonald's and like, what should be on their mind? Like whether or not to order a cheeseburger, which, you know, contradicts Jewish kashrut, Jewish kosher dietary laws, or like whether God might be calling them to sit down next to someone and maybe share the gospel. And so it's this interesting like example uh, that we could probably unpack, you know, more, but, but, but that's, that sort of gets at the, the heart of the issue. Like, should we be concerned about like whether our kitchens are kosher enough, or should we be concerned about what the Holy Spirit might be speaking to us in any given moment? Uh, and what I hope is that Josh and I are, um, 
pointing in a direction of saying it's not either or, you know, like right. maybe we could do both. And what would that look like? You know? Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, and I really appreciated that uh, about the book. It helped me think about some things and then, and then articulate to articulate those two perspectives and, and, um, so, so that I could then hold it and like respect it in a new way. Cause I was like, okay, that's exactly what that mm-hmm. is. That's why it feels the way that it does. And that's why I can respect that and honor that. And at the same time, articulate why I would be, you know, over more in this side and mm-hmm. hold, you know, so that was, that was, that was really helpful. And, and it probably good to help our listeners. I always assume so much, um, Obviously, we're assuming you've listened through like the body of work that we've done. You've probably listened through session four. We're hoping you've heard <clears throat> a kind of us work through the way that we hold new perspective on Paul theology, the Jewish Christian New Testament, you know, theological approach. And and as Jen and I talk, I'm becoming aware of like we're having this conversation as 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 two people with like this Jewish heritage, trying to figure out how we relate to the world of Judaism. And our Christian faith and that relationship, and and sometimes I f- uh, I, I fail to make that distinction. And we have all these uh, Gentile listeners trying to figure out how to apply that to their lives. And there's a whole other conversation to have about that, but just probably to give word mm-hmm. for that. And and that's important because of there are like these two things on opposite ends that we struggle with when that conversation gets muddy, and one of those is appropriation, where. Uh, far too often in Christian circles, we just kind of like appropriate Jewish practices. We it, it becomes so offensive for uh, for our Orthodox Jewish brothers and sisters. Uh, on the other hand, you have this, all the supersessionistic theology and and supersessionism that um, obviously has been at play for for centuries within the Christian world. And so that's why some of these things matter, and those words may or may not mean something to every single listener, but. But if they do mean something, that's that's on some level why I feel like this conversation is important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe on the topic of supersessionism specifically, this is a term um, that I have only recently heard. Although looking back on it, uh, I think it's kind of been like the underlying assumption in most of uh, most of my churches that I've been a part of and everything else. It's just like, oh yeah, of course, new new covenant, whatever. Like the old things done away with. And, and it was just like this sort of offhanded assumption. And so I haven't really, and, and I feel like supersessionism is one of those words that's kind of thrown around a lot, but people don't really quite know what it means. So maybe, and I don't know if you teach freshman level courses, but maybe pretend I'm a freshman first day of class on a class about supersessionism and just like explain it to me. Um, give me like a working definition and why it matters for faith, history, theology, whatever angle you want to attack it from. Yeah, yeah, sure. It does get thrown around a lot. And I feel like um, it's helpful to just sort of say to name, like, what are we talking about? Um, so it comes from the verb supersede. Uh, and it and it uh, it's oftentimes, as you mentioned, Brent, like just sort of latent or embedded in, in a Christian worldview uh, that many, many times goes unquestioned, you know, uh, and that's because of the history, again, of Christian theology. But uh, it's it's basically positing that God's, uh, that, that sort of the, the, the covenant made through Jesus Christ in the New Testament supersedes. Uh, and another word for supersessionism is replacement theology. So it sort of supersedes or replaces God's covenant with the people of Israel that we read about in the Old Testament. And so it kind of uh, positions the people of Israel as... Um, 
kind of the old, outdated, done away with, uh, not the focus of the New Testament, not the focus of Christian faith, like sort of that was then, this is now, out with the old, in with the new. And it's not always even done in like a um, uh, mean-spirited, you know, like uh, it's just sort of, again, it's just sort of this assumption. And it's not, you know, because people hate Jews necessarily. Uh, It's just because we don't think about, we Christians tend not to think about uh, more lines of continuity in terms of the covenants that God makes and the fact that actually the New Testament has a lot to do with the people of Israel and with promises that God had made to and through that people throughout the entire Old Testaments that we read. So I I don't fault Christians for perhaps um, not even consciously falling into a supersessionist understanding of the work of Jesus and God's covenant with the church. Uh, But it's one of those things that causes problems when taken for granted and, and, and left unexamined because it starts to really um, uh, say something about God's faithfulness. I think at the end of the day, that's, that's one of the big problems is that if God sort of had this covenant with the people of Israel that then got cast aside, and, and there's various ways that it plays out. So it could, it could be that it got cast aside because the people of Israel kind of kept failing and fumbling and not living up to the covenant. And so God sort of moved on to this new covenant people called the church, or it could be that that was the design was that they were, um, you know, that was where God started. And then God kind of moved on to this other people. But in any way that you frame it, it ends up being really problematic uh, that God had this covenant people called Israel. uh, And then he kind of ditched them for this new covenant people called the church and so I think when we when we start to poke at it a little bit, um, and again, these are the kinds of questions that I love raising in my Christian theology classes because I don't I think in many cases students have just not really ever thought of it that way. Uh, but it, but 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 I think there's there's a lot to unpack in where it ultimately takes us if we uh, and and again perhaps unwittingly sometimes very uh, uh, unconsciously kind of go down that route of, of the church kind of replacing Israel. Uh, and again, there's, there's a number of different ways that that plays out. Probably the best book out there uh, on this topic is called The God of Israel and Christian Theology by Kendall Solon, who's just a really brilliant, wonderful Christian scholar. Uh, and, 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 and that book's like, you know, 20 or 30 years old, and I don't think there's a better treatment um, of the topic yet, although there's lots of works coming out on it because you know, post-supersessionist Christian theology, Christian theology that's trying to move beyond this kind of supersessionist replacement theology framework is a really big topic right now, which I think is so great. Yeah, I don't think I ever detected any animosity or hate when people would Mm -hmm. talk about this. It was just, Mm -hmm. yeah, like you said, like just this latent understanding of what it is with maybe a convenient amnesia about God Mm -hmm. saying, everlasting covenant or, Mm -hmm. you know, one of the, one of the verses that people like to throw around, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Like, well, if he hasn't changed, then why is he, why is he giving Mm -hmm. up his commitment? So, yeah, I think, um, yeah, it's really interesting to, to stop and ask that question and say, well, where did this actually come from? And why do we all think this? And wait a minute, what are we actually reading our scriptures properly? And yeah, so I, I love that. I love the question. Yeah. Which, 
which serves as a great segue uh, to where I wanted to kind of head next. I, I was I was sent this book um, that again I was like oh, I'm going to kind of be skeptical of this, and then I started recognizing more names that were involved, and then I got more excited, and then this book ended up being really excellent. It was titled "Understanding the Jewish Roots of Christianity," um, and and this book is really a collection of essays. Uh, from different scholars that discuss the historical and theological relationship between Judaism as, uh, and Christianity. Um, and really where we want to to head next uh, for the next three or four episodes is I'm going to kind of use that book as a basis for the next three or four episodes worth of content. And so this is kind of the setup. Like, Jen, you're kind of our setup for this next four episodes of, of exploring this. But this collection of essays was edited by Gerald McDermott, who I've enjoyed uh, getting to to read more and listen more to. Um, and you were one of the contributors uh, to this. You, you wrote one of the essays, which we'll talk about uh, a lot more here in a moment. But can you tell us about, uh, and I don't know if you guys worked together on that or if they were all independent, but I, I'm sure you know a lot of these names and contributors that were a part of that work. Can you tell us what it's been like to, to know them and, and work alongside of them? And, and what has that been like? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first of all, just to talk about Gerald McDermott, who is, um, again, just such a top-notch scholar and human being who has this really interesting story because he, for a long, long time, just kind of, and he, he kind of comes from reformed Christian circles uh, and so he just sort of breathed in the air of supersessionist replacement theology. And then he had this very dramatic, like, about face that he he talks about. I don't know if he's written about it. Uh, on a trip to Israel, he was, like, leading a trip and spouting all of this supersessionist stuff to the people on the trip. And a mutual friend of ours, funny enough, the guy who actually introduced myself to my husband uh, was with Gerald on this trip and was kind of, you know— he would let Jerry give these like long supersessionist lectures at these various sites throughout the state of Israel and then kind of pull Jerry aside during lunch and be like, but Jerry, did you ever think about, you know, da, da. And, and, and really Jerry talks about how it, it was just this complete revolution. And now Jerry McDermott is like one of the key Christian voices who's calling out the problems of supersessionist Christian theology and right. writing books about it and all these things. And so the book that you're talking about, Marty, it actually started as a conference that was held at Beeson Divinity School, where Jerry was uh, was you know working at the time. He's since retired, um, and he planned this conference and he invited all of us. So we were all speakers at the conference to talk about the Jewish roots of Christianity. And 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 it's just it was such a neat group because it was like uh, some of us were Messianic Jews. Mark Kinzer was there. David Rudolph, who we've mentioned, was there. Um, there were some Old Testament scholars, New Testament scholars, and he kind of did this chronological sweep, like going from the Old Testament to the New Testament and up through the different chapters of church history up into the 20th century, which is where I kind of came in, um, just sort of talking about this thread of, um, theolo- of, 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 of Judaism that gets missed so often in Christianity. Um, and it was such a fun conference because the, I mean, the, it, it was, you know, it was, there was a lot of meaningful interaction with, with the participants, but the, the group of speakers was, was just a really neat group of speakers, some of whom I already knew and, and others like Matt Thiessen, who is a new, who's a, you know, Christian New Testament scholar who I got to know at that conference and, and have, you know, kept in touch with since he wrote a book about, you know, ritual purity in the gospels, which is just so fascinating. You know, all of the scholars were kind of getting at the same set of questions from a different angle and a different lens. And, and in many cases, a different sort of historical era. 
So, you know, there's, there was a liturgist there who was talking about kind of the Jewish um, foundations of Christian liturgy, uh, just all these really interesting topics that, that kind of triangulated on this uh, Jewish roots of Christianity topic uh, from, 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 from multiple vantage points. So it was really fun. It was a very dynamic conference. Uh, Jerry did an amazing job both organizing and hosting it. And so then the, the, you know, the published version, which was, you know, the longer version of the presentations that we gave at the conference came out in the book. And, and it's just a really coherent uh, s- collection of essays that, that, that I hope, um, you know, I hope people read it because it, it's, uh, it's, it's just sort of these snippets from different perspectives, all of which are kind of getting at the same set of issues. Yeah. I, I look forward to spending the next few episodes talking about it. There's some really, uh, I don't, I don't know if we'll cover every single chapter, but most of the chapters we're going to cover. And Matt Thiessen's chapter was one of my favorites. It was just so well done. Mm-hmm. Um, so excellent stuff. I, I'm looking forward to, to that discussion. Matt Thiessen is not the same guy as the Reliant K, uh, singer, right? <laughs> <laughs> he's not, but he makes a lot of jokes about it on social media because you're uh, not the first person to ask that question. Um, so no, but that would be pretty amazing if he was right. Well, it's, and so like Reliant K, I feel like, uh, they're, they're so lyrically rich. And yes. so it just seems like, you know, sometimes those types of people are like, Oh, that guy is actually a, you know, this, this whole other crazy world that he's a part of and he, and he just has this band on the side that happened to be successful. So I, you know, I, I thought it was probably not the same guy, but you know, mm-hmm. you, know you just, you can't judge people. Obs- obscure Christian subculture reference. Number one for our, for our podcast today. I love that Brent Billings that's coming first, through. That's in the, the first clutch. one. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> just for today, just for today. That's all. Yeah, and and by the way, this episode is going to be one where you're going to want to check out the show notes because we've got lots of books and um, lots of lots of things to explore that are coming out of this episode. So definitely check out the show notes. Um, I want to ask you, Jen, about uh, Carl Bart. He is kind of uh, he's the first name that you list as like a, a topic of conversation on uh, your book, Healing the Schism. Um, so I, I didn't know much about Carl Bart before, um, before reading your stuff. And so I'm just curious, like what, uh, maybe give us some background on who he is and then talk about why, why is there's this resurgence in Bart scholarship, um, and, and maybe talk about how he's influenced Christian thought. Yeah. So Carl Bart um, was a 20th century Protestant Christian theologian who was Swiss, uh, but he spent a good chunk of his life in Germany. Um, and he, you know, people, one of my professors at, at Fuller Seminary calls him like just a theological Everest. Like he's just this kind of theological giant. And, and, and I would venture to say that a, a large majority of Christian theologians since Bart are in some way influenced by him, even if they don't necessarily realize it, because he just, um, was was kind of these like one of these like weather vane kind of theologians, um, and part of that had to do with uh, his his actual lifespan, the years that he was alive, and his commitment to doing theology in dialogue with like the world around us. So 
he lived through both world wars um, and he was in Europe. So that's no small thing. Um, he, I, I think he was like present at certain meetings of the second Vatican council, which is this like hugely influential Catholic oh, council wow. in the 1960s, um, in the early 1960s. Um, and so there's this, there's this maxim that, that, that nobody can quite find where Bart wrote this or said this, but everybody attributes it to Bart, which I think is accurate, that we are to do theology with the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other um, and that's just so true of, of sort of Bardian theology and Karl Barth's approach to theology that it has to matter and it has to be relevant and it has to speak into um, sort of the societal trends and the societal problems of our day, which, you know, thinking about his lifespan, there was, there was quite a lot going on, you know, that he was trying to speak into, um, not as some kind of like political commentator, but as like a deeply committed student of the Bible. Um, and so his biblical theology, the way that he unpacks passages from scripture is just brilliant, basically. Um, and he just has, he kind of has something to say about everything. His main work, like his magnum opus is called The Church Dogmatics, which is like 14 volumes, all of which are several hundred pages. Um, and uh when I was a master's student, master's of divinity student uh, at Yale Divinity School, like having just become a follower of Jesus like a year before, um, and I took a systematic theology class, and we were just like thrown into the church dogmatics. And I, I remember for the first semester, I just like hated it. Like I could not make heads or tails of what Bart was saying. Um, and then something kind of clicked for me. Uh, and I was like, this guy is so brilliant and so beautiful. Like, I'm kind of embarrassed to admit this, but I sometimes read Bart like devotionally because I think that um, he's just so incredible, uh, his way of conceiving of God and God's commitment to humanity. And, um, you know, he's very like Christocentric. His theology is very, very, very centered and grounded on the person of Christ um, which, which sort of like every aspect of his theology comes back to Christ in very, in very meaningful ways. And so also for my work, um, Bart was like one of the key, maybe the key uh, Protestant theologian who really started thinking deeply about the people of Israel and God's covenant with the people of Israel and what that means for Christian theology. And so in my book, Healing the Schism, I do this whole huge chapter kind of assessing Bart's theology of Israel, the way that he uh, thinks about and approaches and writes about God's covenant with Israel. And I don't think that he gets it all right. Um, I think that he has some significant blind spots, which I think were largely a product of just his time period. You know, he didn't, he wasn't living in this incredible resurgence, or he was living at the very beginning of it, maybe, um, of resurgence of Jewish Christian relations. Um, that, that we are kind of in the midst of in our day. And so he didn't have, um, you know, the same resources or, or, or perspectives that are, that are becoming more common. But even with that, uh, he just uh, kind of started an amazing conversation about uh, the ongoing purpose of the people of Israel in God's plan for humanity uh, that again, there's just so many amazing aspects of Bart's theology, but but that was sort of my hook in terms of uh, again the book healing the schism, but also um, kind of thinking that Bart did something really really significant, and that everybody else is still grappling with what 
with something that Bart kind of kicked off in a lot of ways. Was he significant when he was alive or has his work um, become more of a, an influence since that time? You know, it, it's a little bit of both. He was already significant when he was alive, which is why he was invited to things like the Second Vatican Council. Um, but but I would I, I would say he's become much bigger in 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 the subsequent years since his death because mm -hmm. there's just so much to say about him, you know. And I actually started uh, my doctoral program thinking that I was going to write about Bart's political theology, like what mm -hmm. um, what does his theology have to say about things like empire and things like socialism and you know whatever. Uh, but but there's just so much to say, and it's really remarkable. Like if you go to Amazon or wherever and look for books on Karl Bart, like you can just find so many. Like Bart's doctrine of creation, uh, you know, Bart's doctrine of the fall, all of these things, because he just was so thoughtful about everything. And so Bart's scholarship is just this like constantly exploding field because the it, like. You know, he died in 1968, but there's just endless things to say about, uh, again, these these statements that he made and these ways that he conceived of certain concepts in Christian theology that people will, you know, follow up on and write about forever because he was just such a uh, such a remarkable thinker in that way. This this idea of the Bible in one hand and the newspaper in the other is a very Bema-esque idea that we talk about text to context, what my teachers taught me. Hmm. And I feel like that. I wonder how much of their teachers and their teachers were influenced and rooted in, mm -hmm. in Bardian theology, for sure. Um, uh, now, I recently just got to read this book that we've been referencing here, Healing the Schism, which just recently uh, was released and came out. And... Man, I was just blown away by this read. And really, the chapter that you contribute to the other book we were talking about, Understanding the Jewish Roots of Christianity, your chapter there is really a summary, I feel like, of this larger um, work that you have in Healing the Schism. So, so unbelievably helpful uh, on a personal level uh, for me and just my own journey and the things that I'm thinking. Like, you really made me think through some things that I... Like there were there were big pieces I feel like I had thought of and thought I had thought through, and then there were all these other things that just filled in. It just made the conversation so much more robust for me, and hmm. and so I I really love that. the The book started with an introduction um, where you used a question and a framework from Bruce Marshall, uh, who's a scholar from SMU, um, that addresses moving the conversation forward between. Uh, Jewish Christian dialogue. Um, can you tell us more about Marshall and this framework that you used to kind of you kept you kept calling back to this Marshall's question and mm -hmm. Marshall's question. I, I really it was an anchor point that I found really really helpful. So mm -hmm. can you just give us a brief expansion on that? Yeah. So Bruce Marshall is a Roman Catholic scholar, and I would say um, that he is one of the um, at least Catholic theologians who has kind of pondered the most, these kinds of questions related to God's covenant with Israel and what that means in light of Christian theology. I would also add, just as a kind of a side note, Gavin DaCosta is another Catholic theologian in England uh, who is who is uh, also kind of ramping up and doing a lot of thinking about these questions. So hmm. um, his name, I think, will continue to, to, to come up in, in, in some of these circles. Uh, but Bruce Marshall, in a series of essays, he never uh, kind of attacks it head on. And so I was kind of piecing together work of his from different essays in different contexts. Uh, but he ends up sort of posing this question that I thought was such a compelling question 
that I used it to frame my entire book, Healing the Schism. And and spoiler alert, um, I don't think there's a, I, I certainly don't have like a great answer to the question, which is one of the reasons that I found it so compelling because it's a very difficult question to wrestle with, which is essentially, how can we affirm both uh, the the ongoing significance and endurance of God's covenant with the people of Israel and the universal ecclesially mediated saving mission of Christ. So like, what do we do with God's covenant with Israel on one hand and Jesus Christ on the other hand? I mean, that's it. Like kind of, you boil down a lot of these issues. um, That's at the heart of so many of them because uh, you know, the vast majority of the Jewish people, the people of Israel, um, you know, in Jesus' day all the way up till today, like rejected the Messiah. So like, what do we do with that? Like, how can we still say that they are kind of present tense in Jesus' day and our day, the chosen covenant people of God, but like, wait, don't, don't we have to like follow Jesus to be the covenant people of God? And so the way that he frames that tension um, was just very compelling to me. And another uh, very significant aspect of Bruce Marshall's framing of that question is that unlike many Christian thinkers, he recognizes that saying something about God's covenant with the people of Israel is also saying something about that people's call to be Torah observant. Mm -hmm, Uh, And mm -hmm, so it's also mm -hmm. saying something about Judaism as a like religion and as a set of practices that orients the life of the people of Israel. So it's not as though we can just say, yeah, like in some abstract way, um, the people of Israel are, are, are the chosen people of God because, because what he also wants is to then affirm, well, as the chosen people of God, they are called to live a certain lifestyle, which is spelled out in, in Torah and rabbinic tradition and all these things. Um, and I think, again, that's an important connection that often gets missed, uh, which is that saying something about the Jewish people also requires us to say something about Judaism as this set of practices that kind of binds together and makes identifiable the Jewish people. Right. Uh, and so it, 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 there's, there's a lot of substance to what Marshall means when he talks about the people of Israel and God's covenant with the people of Israel. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the question that sort of frames my entire book. Each chapter of the book is sort of assessing um, different key thinkers in light of this really profound question that, that Marshall raises. Yeah. I, and I, uh, yeah, uh, I think I just had not read and maybe I just need to read more, Jen. Maybe you're just going to look at me and be like, Marty, you need to read more. Um, I read a lot, but apparently not the right stuff. I had I had just not read something where somebody had just mapped, like articulated it, put it down, gave a framework for it. And and then you went on in the book to and you listed uh, these four distinctives that kind of guided your your work here in, in, in the book, which kind of led these four chapters. But these four distinctives, this number one, a commitment to robust theology. Uh, number two, uh, assessment of the other tradition in light of your own. So, if we're coming from a tradi- uh, uh, a Christian tradition, to uh, to assess that, to assess the Jewish faith, uh, a recognition of the commonalities, and then a reassessment of your own tradition. Now, now that you have kind of looked at it, examined it, now to look back and reassess those things. And and so, with that in mind, you you spent a chapter on 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 Barth's commitment to. Uh, like a critical point of Christian theology at that point in history, and then and then you brought in this name that 
I, I know now because of your work, Franz Rosen, Rosenzweig. Uh, I don't know if did I say that correctly. Did I get it even close to right? Rosenzweig? Rosenzweig is how I've heard it. Rosenzweig. Is it Feig? Okay. All right. Google mistreated me then. Google is... <laughs> Never go to Google to figure out how to translate and, and pronounce anything. It's horrible. Also, maybe don't go to the Baymont podcast because we struggle <laughs> with some of these names. Oh, boy, do we. Um, but that was the problem with academics because we're always reading and never saying things out loud, right? <laughs> academics true. mispronounce words all the time. So you're yeah. in very, very good company. Yeah. So you started with Barth and then and then you went over and, and, you, and you looked at Rosen's – see, I'm not going to be able to say it now uh, – but Franz's um, – uh, theology from a Jewish perspective, and then you assess the conversation, and then you use Dr. Mark Kinzer, who we were talking about earlier, and his work at, to dream of an evolving way forward. And man, it just brought so much structure to the conversation for me, and like where it's at, and where we've been in the last century, and even the last few decades. It, it, it's like I finally had a reference point. So before I ask you my last closing question, is there anything else about just the book in general that either stands out to you or you love to tell other people or anything about just your work there and those four power pack chapters of like, what would you say, Jen, about that book? Yeah, I mean, so the book is called Healing the Schism, and the subtitle is Karl Barth, Franz Rosenzweig, and the New Jewish Christian Encounter. And that's kind of my phrase, the new Jewish Christian encounter, mm -hmm. to describe something that we're seeing in our day, and in many ways, like, kind of participating in. And I, I mean, all the work that, you know, Bema and myself and Mark Kinzer, I mean, it's all, you know, there's, we're all kind of working in this sort of space between Judaism and Christianity to some extent. Mm -hmm. um, and so this new Jewish Christian encounter is, is my way of naming a certain segment of that. So there's also like, I mean, there, we're just living in incredible times where there's all kinds of sort of partnerships between Jews and Christians. And some of that is like, you know, um, ethically based or, or socially based and what I'm particularly interested in is like the theologically based engagement between Jews and Christians. And so I, I kind of lay out those four markers that you mentioned, Marty, of what the new Jewish Christian encounter is and, and how to classify it. And, and I think the last one is really unique, which is that what we're seeing in our day is Jews and Christians who are beginning to reconceive of their own tradition mm. in light mm -hmm. of the encounter mm -hmm. with the other tradition. So it's not just like, mm. um, you know, a world religions class where we sort of learn about all these different traditions and then we can sort of, you know, like say three sentences about Buddhism and three sentences. It's like there's a, this inherent connection between Judaism and Christianity. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, John Howard Yoder uh, said that, Judaism is a non-non-Christian religion, right? You can't quite put Judaism in the category with all of these other non-Christian religions. Mm -hmm. uh, and so what I'm so fascinated by is the way in which um, Jews and Christians are, uh, again, rethinking their own identity, what their own religion means to them after have, having encountered in some significant substantive way the tradition of the other. And, and we really see that in our day. You know, Christians are starting to understand in a new way like what it means to be a Christian because they've interacted with Judaism and the Jewish people in some significant way. And you can also, it also goes the other way, you know, Jews uh, who, you know, Judaism and Christianity have so often defined themselves in sort of contradistinction to one another, mm -hmm. um, like in mutually exclusive terms, what's Christian is like by definition, not Jewish. And what's Jewish is by definition, not Christian. And what I love uh, is that 
you're we're seeing uh, some of those boundaries kind of shifting and 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 maybe even coming down to a certain extent in our day. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the the the, the main. Um, yes, the book delves into Karl Barth and Franz Josef Weig and these historical figures who I think really kind of prefigure what we are seeing in our own day. Um, and I think that's what makes uh, the book, but also, you know, the work that I do so exciting is because it's so contemporary. There's just so much going on in our world. Um, and I think it's a really incredible time to like be living and writing and teaching uh, because of this era, particularly with regard to this relationship between Judaism and Christianity. Uh, and it's a great setup for my my closing. That's beautifully said. Uh, and he, so here's my closing question for you, Jen, is when you think of uh, these names and people that you've worked, uh, been able to study with and around and under, uh, work alongside of, when you think about where all these, as you said, just kind of where this modern conversation is at, um, what is your hope for the ongoing interaction for this ongoing Jewish Christian encounter for, for Christianity? First of all, like the, the practical no brainers, but, but maybe even like the big crazy only with God kind of dreams. Mm -hmm. Like what are like, if we could put words to that, I think we all kind of like in this ethereal abstract way, we kind of like all see it, but Mm -hmm. how would you articulate what that, what that dream looks like of where we could see this thing headed. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm working on a, on a new book and, and one of the proposed titles was unparting the ways, right? Like I, Ooh, I would I love like to, yeah. Right. Don't steal it, Marty. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I, you know, I would love to see like a thoroughgoing rethinking of the parting of the ways between Judaism and Christianity, mm. uh, because it is just taken for granted, right? Like Jesus was Jewish and the New Testament was Jewish, but then they went their separate ways. And that's where we are today. You have Judaism and you have Christianity. And I'm like, mm. no, like, I don't want to accept that, um, like kind of an, a, just, just sort of a, um, yeah, that's how it is, Jen. Judaism and Christianity are two different things. Like, I, I want to see those boundaries, those um, definitions, like, deeply and thoroughly challenged. Um, and I want to see, and, and part of that is that I want to see uh, Messianic Judaism, um, I want to see it kind of raise its profile a bit, uh, because Messianic Jews, for a lot of reasons, um, are just not not really included in a lot of Jewish Christian yep. uh, circles, Jewish Christian dialogue circles. Yep. Um, and again, there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think that Messianic Judaism is kind of coming into a season where um, I, I, I think and I hope it deserves to be taken a little bit more seriously. And, you know, for something like Bruce Marshall's question, Messianic Judaism actually becomes really significant because it talks about how Jewish followers of Jesus can maintain some kind of meaningful connection with Judaism, which is not just sort of a personal preference, but like maybe it's an issue of covenant fidelity, right? Like how we are faithful to God. So I think um, that would be sort of my big picture answer to your question. And I think just on a more kind of personal level, I just love um, connecting people. And I love, um, like, I want I want you, Marty to, and Brent to be friends with Mark Kinzer. You know what I'm saying? I want to see these circles, which are sort of all kind of doing our own thing. Um, I, I love kind of overlapping and finding threads of commonality and ways to work together. Um, and, 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 you know, just to throw in there briefly, there's this organization called Yachad B'Yeshua, which Mark Kinzer, 
uh, and myself and others have been pretty influential in, 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 in getting off the ground. Um, and it's kind of trying to connect Jewish followers of Jesus from all across the spectrum. So like Roman Catholics who are Jews and Eastern Orthodox Christians who are Jews. Um, and so that kind of thing, which is like bringing together people who have uh, maybe on the surface, like pretty different day-to-day lives or live in different parts of the world or have different kinds of uh, careers. Like, I just want to see, I want us all to like come together and work together and think together and, um, you know, guest lecture in each other's classes and these kinds of things, because there's just so much richness out there. And I don't like the sort of siloization that takes place a lot in academic circles where it's like, well, if he's not in my department, I, I don't know. Um, I want to see more crossover. I want to see more kind of cross-pollination and thinking together and working together. Um, again, that's kind of a more personal answer, but I think it's also related to the larger question because part of the reason that people are rethinking the boundaries between Judaism and Christianity is because of these very personal encounters, which sort of challenge their categories that used to make perfect sense. Yeah. And that space uh, that you mentioned there has been one of those spaces that you invited me into. That's been so meaningful for me as well. I I didn't realize how, um, how meaningful and impactful it would be for me as a Jewish follower of Jesus to listen to so many other stories and to just, yeah, bump shoulders and, and hear different perspectives. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I could talk some more about that, but yeah, it's, as good. It might, it might be a personal, uh, reason, but it's a darn good one and probably could be shared, mm. um, by more persons if it's personal. So I, I like that. I appreciate you sharing it. Well, Jen, uh, we've been talking for over an hour and I feel like we could go on for several more hours quite easily. Um, but I think we're, we're coming to a close for this conversation. Um, so maybe tell us, um, I guess, so I'll say, so your website is in our show notes, so people should check that out. And I would also say, check out your, um, newsletter, thinking things through. Um, it's, it's a great short little read once a month. So I would highly encourage people to, um, check that out from that newsletter. I feel like you have several books in the pipeline, uh, and you just have all sorts of stuff going on. So I don't know if there's anything specifically that you want to call out and mention that you're working on or excited about, um, that we should know about before we leave. Yeah, I mean, I would say uh, I just feel so fortunate to to wake up every day and get to do the work that I do. But the the project that I'm probably most excited about at the moment is this new book that I'm working on uh, that will be published with InterVarsity Press coming out uh, in spring of 2022. Um, and the book is called Finding Messiah, A Journey into the Jewishness of the Gospel. Um, and the book uh, is geared towards a more popular Christian audience. It's not, a, a you know, an academic book per se. And what's been really fun about this book is that it uh, it interweaves my personal story. Uh, so going back to my becoming a follower of Jesus in college, uh, to my ending up at Fuller Seminary and meeting Mark Kinzer, to my meeting and marrying my husband and our marriage, which has included two international moves, one planned, one unplanned. Uh, so it's very personal. Um, it's a bit memoir-ish. Uh, but that is interspersed with with theological and historical reflection on a number of topics, all sort of connected to, to what we've been talking about, the parting of the ways between Judaism and Christianity uh, and what that means for, for Christian self-understanding, the way that we read Paul, um, you know, different understandings between sin and the fall uh, in, in, in Judaism and Christianity, uh, the Sabbath, like what's up with the Sabbath and the Saturday-Sunday thing. So Again, it's sort of these snippety theological reflections 
uh, interwoven with, with my own personal story. And it's been a really fun project to work on. Uh, and I'm excited. I'm excited for it to, for it to come out next spring. And, um, and to, it, it's been fun to, to get to share with the world how personal all of these topics in this journey with Christian theology and Judaism has been for me. Yeah, everything you said there is basically right up the alley of all of the conversations we have at Bema. So I think that's going to be um, an excellent book for our listeners. Um, I would also say that uh, people should follow you on Twitter. You're Jen Rosner on Twitter. Um, great follow. And... Um, of course, you can find Marty on Twitter at Marty Solomon. I'm at EIBCB. So, Jen, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. It's It's been really fun to talk with you guys. All right. And we'll talk to all of you listeners again soon.